Hey father, hey son, making a podcast sure sounds fun. Set up the mics, grab a cup of joe, and let's see how it goes. The the way we're going to title this one is Stop Being Your Child's friend. This is one of the ones that I've been wanting to do when we thought about even doing a podcast. This is the first one that popped in my head. Part of that is because you've actually given talks titled Stop Being Your Kid's Friend. And uh, I think it's uh, really neat. And here's why we want to do this is because, um, as you know, we are a father and son team. And uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful relationship now. My dad is my best friend. That has not always been the case. Not at all. There were times when uh, Matt's sister was going to be an only child. Um, and and we jokingly say that, but there may be some truth to that. Oh, absolutely. But one of the things that we want to talk about today is parenting and stop being your child's friend because we need to be the parent. And being a parent means that you need to parent. One of the things that I do when I do parent meetings with my students' parents and parent meetings with other groups or go to churches, one of the things I like to do is just to illustrate this point is I give everybody a three-by-five card, very simple. And what I want you to do as a parent, I want you to write down the names of your children's friends on one side of the card. You can, If you've got their first name, you've got first name, last name, that's fine. If you just know a nickname, if you just know it's the redheaded kid, I don't know his name, (laughs) write that down. Just whatever you've got, write down as many friends' names as you can on one side of the card. Now, the other side of the card, flip it over, and on the back side of the card, write down the names of your children's parents. Now, let me help you a little bit. One of them should be your name. So you write down the names of your children's parents. Now, when you compare those two, the last thing they need is more friends because you just filled up one side of the card. Mm -hmm. What they need are these parents. Mm -hmm. And they need us to be parents to help them navigate difficult years from middle school to high school or even children. But you need to be the parent in your kids' lives. And I think that too many – now, this is my opinion. I could be wrong. I don't think so. I'm afraid that we have too many parents that want to be their children's friend instead of being their parent. Yeah, and you see it even in you see it in pop culture all the time. You see it in in uh, uh, sitcoms a lot, where you know, oh, I'm the, the parents uh, feel like they've missed out on something. They feel like they've missed out on life, or they feel like they missed out on their teenage years or their twenties or whatever. And so they're trying to be young and they're trying to be relevant and hip and cool or whatever. And so they, you see it all the time and the kids just roll their eyes. Oh, that's my parent, whatever. And you see these parents who are being ridiculous and stupid, very harsh words, how offensive, but they're being ridiculous and stupid because they're trying to be a, a teenager again, or they're trying to be uh, cool, or they're trying to be relevant or whatever. And so they they compromise on um, integrity, and they compromise on um, morality or whatever in order to try to be cool again. And what happens is kids, teenagers, uh, children... They, like you said, they do not need another friend. They've got very few parents in their lives. Max, I don't know, four if you've got a blended family. You, you've got, those need to be the authority figures in your life. And if they are only your friends, then 
there is no authority. I've had students um, when I was uh, I was teaching and I was in a middle school uh, environment, and I had a I had a kid tell me one time we were talk I was talking about boundaries and I was talking about um, accountability and how we need to have boundaries and you don't need to just be have a free will to do whatever you want whenever you want all the time. And she looked at me. She was probably 15 years old, and she said. I wish I had stricter boundaries in my home. And I just was like, wait, what? Because, you know, every other 15-year-old on the planet's like, man, oh, I wish my parents would get off my back, whatever. She's like, no, my parents are on the road a lot. My parents are um, doing very good things for the kingdom of God, but they're on the road a lot. And she said, I literally have free reign to do whatever I want, whenever I want, on a regular basis, and I hate it. Yeah, one one of the things we forget is that when you're driving down the highway or you're driving down a curvy road or whatever, there are guardrails put up. Those guardrails are not there because they don't like you. The guardrails aren't there because they want to restrict you. Those guardrails are there to protect you. And as parents, that's our responsibility to put up guardrails, to put up some barriers, to put up some boundaries so that we can help our children mature and grow within the confines of the family unit. To let a student do whatever they want to do is not love. What's love is making sure they follow the rules, the guidelines, because that's real life. From God's word, don't touch this tree, don't don't eat this fruit, all the way to that you have to be obedient and follow through the Lord Jesus Christ. All through scripture, you have to have obedience, you have to have guidelines, you have to have some stipulations. Well, that's that's real life for us in just everyday life. You don't say certain things to your family. There are certain words you cannot use. You don't say that in your family because you don't say that in the in the culture as a whole. What's happening in our culture today is anything goes, and because anything goes, nobody knows what to do. That's why everybody's so worried and everybody has so much stress because if I say this, I can get in trouble. But if I don't say this, I'm going to get in trouble. A kid can't function. A student can't function in that kind of environment. You're exactly right. Whenever, uh, if it's wrong one week and it's not the next week, how can anybody say anything? This is what happens in the decline of morality is when there is no moral standard or when we say, well, your truth is not the same as my truth. When there is no standard of truth and we have the slide of morality, that's when that's stress. That's going to be um, – you have this inconsistency and that's going to cause so many problems across all boards. That's going to cause problems in your, in your workplace, in your home, in your student's life, in everything that you do because if there is no standard, how do you know? How do you know if it's right? How do you know if it's wrong? And so one of the things we wanted to talk about with being a um, stop being your kid's friend is, number one, the biggest thing and the number one point when it comes to any kind of anything that you do, but especially as a parent or when you're doing any kind of a relationship, the most important thing is you have to start with the end in mind. Yeah. And one of the things about starting with end in mind is we have to forego some of the things in the current moment so that we can look down the road. Uh, you and I, uh, in our relationship over the years, you know, when you've told me I was the worst parent ever, <laughs> you hate me, I don't like you, and that kind of stuff, of which I did what you're doing. I laughed when you said those things because at age 13, 14, and 15, middle school years up to age 15, you're miserable. Mm -hmm. You hated everything. Your sister hated everything. Hey, just to be honest, when I was that age, I hated everything. Nothing was good. Hormones are going crazy. I don't know this. My parents are stupid. 
Your parents were stupid when you were that age, probably still are, but that's another story. But the whole thing is when you're, when you're in that age, you hate everything and you're miserable and you make everybody else around you miserable. I'm not worried about that particular thing. I'm not worried about that moment in time. I'm, I'm really not. What I'm looking for is today when you and I as grown men, as friends, uh, two adult men sitting and having a conversation, having a, a chance to do a podcast of, of doing memories. That's what I'm looking for at age 15. You tell me I'm the worst parent ever. That's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll accept it. I'll, I'll take the certificate and hang it on the wall. And I really did. Yeah, he did tell me that, and that's okay. But at age 15, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the end in mind. And, and, and I guess the illustration, once again, as a youth pastor, one of the things that I say as an illustration is I know very few people that go to the airport with their bags packed, go to the ticket counter and say, I need two tickets. Well, the first thing that they're going to ask you is to where, wh- where are you going? Well, I don't know, but I need two tickets. Nobody says that. No. I don't care how crazy you are. You don't do that. So you start with the end in mind. I know where my destination is. Well, that's the way life is with our students, with our children, is I want my children. There's certain standards I want. I want my children to say please and thank you. I want them to be able to function in society. I don't want them to be a drain. I want them to be able to contribute. Well, where are we now? Mm -hmm. Where am I going to go? What resources do I have to get us to that destination? Too many parents don't know what they want, don't know where they're going. They don't know the resources they have. Consequently, they become their friend, and they don't teach their kids right from wrong, yes and no, and move them along. And that's not fair to to the students, not fair to your children, because sometimes your children act up because parents have failed to parent. That's one of my biggest concern and one of my biggest frustrations is when I have people tell me, you know, their kid comes up and they're acting like a brat or they're doing something and they can't get them to mind and they look at me and they roll their eyes and they go, I can't stand when my kid does this. I want to smack them in the face. And I'm like, you taught them to act this way. And, and people would say, well, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. Because you have taught them that that, is, that that is acceptable behavior. When you do not correct them, when you do not discipline, I can't tell you how many times I've had a, I've, <laughs> we've been with friends and they go to tell their kid, hey, it's time to go. And the kid goes, no. I'm like, oh, back up, son. I'd have lost my mind. I'd have lost every, I'd have died if I had told my parents no. And, it's not because they're mean, but because they had taught me respect. And even when I was a rebellious teenager and I hated everything, I didn't say directly to your face. I may, I may, you know, mumble as I'm walking up the steps. What'd you say? Nothing. I would never say no. Mm-mm. I wasn't stupid. Okay, that's not true. But the, <laughs> but the truth is, a lot of times we, like you said, when especially in that middle school, thirteen to fifteen age. A lot of times, well, I just I just want them to like me. Why? They don't like themselves. They don't like their friends. They don't like anything about life because they're a raging hormone. They're trying to figure out their place in the world. They don't know themselves, and what they know today may be different tomorrow because of the turmoil. They think they're old enough to be an adult. You know they're not. You want to give them responsibility and work, but you also... Don't they're not they're not an adult. So you you it's such turmoil in their heart and in their in, in that time of their life. But like you said, you have to start with the end in mind, and your end in mind has to be specific. You can't be so broad as to say, "Well, I want my kid to grow up and be a good person." 
what does that mean? And it depends on who you ask. It depends. Okay, a good person does A, B, or C. Yeah, in your opinion. What is it you want? You need to name specific goals. You need to make the end result uh, 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 very specific and attainable. So, what was it when you, when my, when Krista and I, as we were growing up and we were becoming into those teenage years, what you may not have sat down and written it out or or made a solid, you know, you know, carved it in stone and stuck it under the foundation of the house and said, "I'm going to look at that in 40 years and make sure I hit that." But what were some of the things that you were wanting for us as your children to say, when they hit this age, I want this? Sure. Well, I think I think that if we could get you through those teen years, about 15 to 16, um, that what we wanted is I want you to be able to function in society. I want you to be able to say please and thank you and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and that sort of thing. Obviously, as Christians, we wanted you to have a radical faith. We wanted you to have a biblical foundation of truth in, in your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That that was a that was a given. Um, if you'll remember, we never got up on Sunday morning and asked the question of, are we going to go to church on Sunday? It was never a question. No, ever. because it's Sunday, and that's what me and my house, that's what we're going to do. So those were our standards. In fact, I can remember I was in marching band, and we'd be out late or whatever. We'd be at church. And when I went to prom, and I remember this was all kind of radical to some folks. They were like, so what's your son's uh, curfew for uh, for prom? Has he got to be back home at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning? Does he got to be back at midnight, whatever? And you guys actually did not give me a curfew for prom because you were teaching. At, now, earlier, you know, I went several years, but as I got older, I can remember even my own mother saying, you do not have a curfew for prom. Church starts at 8. And I had to make my own decision because it was there was no question of, you you come in at 3 o'clock, you're at church at 8. You come in at 2 o'clock, you're at church at 8. You come in at 745, church is at 8. You're not going to stay out that late because you're not an idiot, and we've trained you not to be an idiot. But the point isn't, oh, should I give curfew or should I not give curfew? Bad things happen. Yes, they do if you haven't trained your child. And one of the things that you did was we made church a priority. Um, and so that was part of the way of of pointing towards that future. Sorry, please continue. No, I, no, I think you're right on target because what we wanted to do is instill in you guys those values and age appropriate because when you're 15, yeah, you had a curfew. Yes, I did. When you're 18, that's a little different and it's a little different as you grow and mature and you're going to college. So everything shifts and changes, but you have to set those foundational truths ahead of time. And we, the biggest thing is we want you guys to be functional within our society. We want you to be not a taker, but a giver and, and helping and not just always taking. And we want you to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I personally believe if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, the word of God is your standard that it changes how you live in a culture. Now, everybody else can disagree. That's fine. I just know that the biblical mandate is to take care of the, the widow, the poor, the orphans, that we are to love one another. We are to treat others the way we would like for them to treat us. We are to, we are to be socially involved with the social issues, not as the, as the first and foremost. The first and foremost is, is Christ. But from that, 
comes the things of being involved in social issues. Racism is wrong. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, abusing children, that's wrong. We don't steal. We don't kill. We do uphold the law. So those things are, are, are truly biblical things, and that's where we got most of our foundational truths for you guys, and that's what we want you guys to live by and continue to do that even now for our grandchildren and mm-hmm. pray for that for them. And one of the things that you've got to learn to do as a parent is this word, practice it with me. The word is No. No. Sometimes you're going to have to say no, and you're going to have to stick to it. One of the classic examples is uh, my cousin, Ben, and we tell this story from time to time. He was, uh, and he'll tell you, he was a difficult teenager. Uh, Just say it a little bit, yes. (laughs) And uh, they told the story one time where uh, whenever he uh, was, was rebellious and he was just really just pushing his mom's buttons, she'd send him over to her dad's house, my grandfather, and uh, which we've talked about before, Bill Chastain, wonderful, wonderful man that's gone on to be with the Lord. And um, he was a man's man. That love Jesus. Absolutely. And uh, Ben would come over and spend time with granddaddy, and uh, granddaddy would put him to work because, you know, sweat equity and the and uh, let's let's work together. And uh, Ben would ask him things like, hey, can I go over to my friend's house? And granddaddy would say, no. And uh, so they'd work a few more minutes, and Ben would say, granddaddy, can I go over to my friend's house? And he would just ignore him. And come more granddaddy, can I go over to my friend's house? And he would ignore him, and he'd just go on for 20, 30 minutes. And finally, he'd go, Granddaddy, can you not hear me? He goes, I can hear you. Can I go to my friend's house? Have I answered that? Yeah. And what did I say? Well, you said no. Why on earth would I answer you again? Well, because I just thought maybe you would change your mind. Well, that's your mistake. Now, if you'll pick that up and carry that up, you know, <laughs> into discussion, and what the reason why is because they they would talk about that. And Ben asked his mother one time, uh, she she asked him, she said, why would you ask me and ask me and ask me and ask me? He said, because I knew that eventually you'd change your mind and I'd get what I want. Yeah, and, and it, the funny thing about the word no, and I, and I tell parents this all the time, it's amazing we don't have to teach our little kids to say mm-hmm. no. They say no very quickly, very little. I mean, they can barely say mom and dad, but they learn no when you tell them to do things. No is one of the few words in the English alphabet. When you start looking at the English alphabet, you got L M N O comes next. The word no is in the middle of the English alphabet. Well, yeah, it is. So when you think about it, it's one of the most natural words that we have. And yet somewhere along the way, when we become a parent, we forget how to use the power of no. If we would be consistent with that word, and you mentioned that a moment ago about being the inconsistencies of mm-hmm. life and that kind of stuff, that I think is one of our parenting problems that we really struggle with is not being consistent with our kids. One of the things you're talking about being late, um, if, if, if your child is, let's say we give them a curfew of 11 o'clock, we'll just hypothetically say 11 o'clock, and your child comes in and it's 10 after 11, they're late, mm-hmm. and you go, well, that's okay, you're a few minutes late, don't let it happen again. Next time they go out, it's 11.10, and you say, hey, try to be in on time. It's 11 o'clock. So the next week, it's 11.15, and you're a little miffed at them, but you let it go. The next week, it's 11.15, and you nail them, and you yell at them, and you scream at them, and you tell them they're grounded, and you got this big yelling match going on. You have this rebellion going on and stuff. Wait a second. You had taught them it's okay to be late. You taught them for three weeks. It's okay to be late. There are no consequences. Mm-hmm. So you're being inconsistent. Now your children and your teens especially are frustrated with you as a parent because you've been inconsistent. If It's either wrong or it's not wrong. It is black and white. And you have to be consistent with that discipline 
because what you allow, if it's a little kid saying no, if you allow it, you're teaching them it's okay. You cannot do that as a parent. Now, once again, I'm not saying be an ogre. I'm not saying be mean and abusive to your children by any means, form, or fashion. But you have got to be consistent to your children because if you're not consistent, you're sending such mixed messages to them. That's why they're always afraid to come to parents to talk to them because they don't know how you're going to react because you've been so stinking inconsistent. And we see this modeled even in Scripture. If you look at the Old Testament, you know, a lot of times people accuse God of being mean and angry in the Old Testament, and then full of grace and love in the New Testament. He is the same God from Genesis to Revelation. He is full of grace and mercy, but he is also a consistent God. And he says he is a jealous God, and we always have a negative connotation to that, but his point is, I should be number one. And if you read through the Old Testament, and you see it's like, oh man, the 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 uh, Israelites in, in, in the wilderness, and the ground opened up, and 3,000 died. What? That seems mean. Yeah, but Why? Or, or when God is speaking with Moses on the top of the mountain, they're communing face to face. And Moses comes down the mountain, what's happened? Golden calf. And he says, all right, Levites, go kill people. Well, that's a mean and angry God. Absolutely not. He has set a standard. And he said, no other gods. I am your God. You will not act as the, those surrounding countries who have all these other gods and idols and everything. That's my standard. Here's the consequence. Told you that was a consequence. So who's – am I being mean for for sticking to the consequences I told you? Absolutely not. No, it's and, – and, and let's move it into a, an employer environment. If mm. you're late and you continue to be late and you're not on time, you're going to be disciplined, or at least you should be, because you're being uh, – you're, you're being paid to be there a certain time, but you're not showing up. Now we can't depend on you. We can't put out the product. We can't do the job. If you maintain that and keep that up, we are going to have to terminate you. And when that person, that person loses their job, they're mad at the corporation. They're mad at the company. They're mad at their boss for firing them. The problem is not the boss. The thing is you're the one who takes responsibility for what you did. And these are the consequences for it. As a culture, we've gotten away from consequences for our actions, and I believe that that has started in the home because we quit being a parent. Uh, just be honest. There are some days you just don't want to have to fight it. Mm-hmm. There are some days you're tired and you don't want to do it. But I'm not talking about today. I've still got to look at the end results in mind, and my end results in mind is that you're going to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, functioning in our society, and you're going to be able to Uh, be a contributor, not a taker. That means that before we ever get to that part, when you're 18 at age 13, I got to nail you on this thing. That's right. And one of the things um, that we've talked about this is um, you uh, had (laughs) my biggest problem when I was a teenager was my mouth. I was a jerk and I was smart and smart aleck. And uh, we always tell the story of the time that, um, you were very consistent because you were like, do not speak to your mother this way. And I would speak to my mother that way. And I did not get away with it. And uh, we tell the story of the time we'd all been out together. And um, I was, we were on our way back into the house and we were walking in through the garage and mom said something, you know, pick up your shoes. I told you to do this, whatever. And I mouthed off over my shoulder or whatever. And I knew I'd gone too far because all of a sudden here comes dad. And I mean, you're about tossing furniture to get to me. Mom's trying to shut the garage door so nobody sees what's about to transpire. And I literally had my feet dangling off the ground. And the reason why is not because dad's mean. 
not because dad overreacted. I literally, he had just said, do not speak to your mother that way. I spoke to my mother that way. And I think the phrase you said was, explain to me why I shouldn't kill you right now. Yeah. Maybe, but the point being, I told you not to. You did. Explain to me why you think that's okay. Yeah. And the answer is, it is not. Right. And and the point being, for those that are listening, is the fact that I told Matt, and as a 15-year-old, that's, that's where you are. You're miserable, and everybody else around you is miserable because of that, was that no one speaks to my wife like that. Mm-hmm. I would not let a man in public speak to my wife that way. I will defend her. I am going to be her knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, until death do us part, and I'm going to be there for her. And I told Matt, and he and he would confirm this. I said, I am not going to let any man speak mm. to my wife this way, and I'll be hanged if I let my own son do this. That's not going to happen. And after we did that, now, 25 years later, we still tell that story. But the truth of the matter is, he remembers it. Now, he's a father of a son, and I guarantee you <laughs> he has said, you're not going to talk to your mother. That's my wife. And, and the reason you do that is you've got to look for the future in mind because that story, as funny as it is now, at that moment it was pretty scary uh, for Matt. Um, <laughs> Terrifying. But from that story now to the second and third generation, we're having truths being taught. And I guarantee you that one day Liam will tell that same story of his grandfather doing that to his dad so that his dad didn't have to do that to him but he will never let any his son talk to his wife that way. And that's the point is the lesson learned. I've heard it said a smart man learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Absolutely. And that's what you're talking about. And it's, and again, you hear the relationship that we have now because you could be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. That's going to damage the relationship. Absolutely. In the moment I was so angry, and I was I wasn't going to let him know that because I thought I would die. But now I'm thankful for that, and that sounds insane. When I was 15 years old, you're going to thank me for this. Bull? No, I'm not. <laughs> now, as a 40-year-old man, I am so thankful for that because my dad showed me what it was like to care about the honor of his wife and to show that respect and honor is utmost priority in our family. Let's switch gears for a second, and this one is something that is more theoretical for us because of the age in which we lived. One of the things that we've talked about before is how thankful we are that we did not have social media or cell phones. Um, When I was in high school, technology hadn't advanced enough yet, and uh, technology Text messaging was like the utmost, latest, greatest craze. Like as I was leaving high school, and uh, but you and I have had this conversation. We did have cell phones and that kind of thing, but nothing like we have now. Not 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 the supercomputers we hold in our pockets now, and uh, or wear on our wrists. And uh, we, one of the things that we talked about were you you've you've said to me if this had been our situation as teenagers, here are some of the guidelines that I would have set up. And I think that we should talk about that for a few minutes about if you're not, if the end result is what they're going to be, what your teenagers and your your children are going to be as they grow up, what are some guidelines we can set in place? As we talked about the guardrails, what are some guidelines we could set in place when it comes to social media and technology yeah i think that uh, a lot of different things come to mind but one is as a parent um that's 
cell phone is probably on a family plan that mom and dad are paying for. First of all, that makes that my phone. Yes. Okay. So because that's my phone, that needs to be in my room at night when we charge it. Now, I know parents are going to disagree with that. I know that's a different answer for a lot of people, but in my opinion, I would have a charging station in our room because I know my son, I know my daughter, and if they had that technology, they're going to be on it all night. I know of students who come in and their first response in the morning, how are you doing? I'm so so tired. tired. Why? Well, I went to bed at 10. Okay. I quit asking that question. What time did you go to sleep? Well, see, I was watching this movie and then I was watching this and then I got on that and then, and then it's three or four hours before they went to bed. That means that they never really got into a good rest. I'm the parent because I'm the parent. I want my child to sleep. I want my child to sleep so they can function well in school. I want them to do well in school so that they can get a job and pay into the society and take care of me in my retirement years. <laughs> so I'm looking at the end in mind, right? Yep. That phone needs to be in my room. I'd have a charging station for it for you guys. I would also make sure there are no locked screens on my phone that you have, and I can check it at any time. Now, I know parents are going to say, well, you don't trust your kids. I don't. Nope. Because they're you're, kids. You're exactly right. I remember I when I was that age and I didn't have the technology, I got in enough trouble without the technology. I can't imagine where I'd be if I'd had it. So I set the rules. I set the standards. I'm going to be consistent with it. And as they mature and as they grow and they prove to me that they can do these things, then you give them more freedoms. This is the same way it works when when it comes to businesses. This is the same way it works when it comes to, to your work, when it comes to anything. When it comes to getting a loan and credit, you can't just walk into a bank and say, I need half a million dollars. Oh, okay, well, what kind of collateral do you have? What kind of credit score do you have? What kind of all these different things? Well, I don't have any. Absolutely not. You can't have that. Is that mean? No. That is protecting the investments of the bank, right? Same thing. That's not fair. You don't trust your child. That's not loving. Absolutely not. My goal, my end result is my goal. I'm not going to compromise it here just so you feel better. Yeah, and and the thing about the cell phones and all that kind of stuff is you have got to be the parent. You've got to set the standard. You've got to set the goal. And I think for all of us as a whole, once again, starting with the end in, in mind, that when it comes to social media, here's some standards I would have. Uh, I don't want it on all night. It's got to be charged, all that kind of stuff, and, and I won't be able to look at it any time. The rule, even for our government, says at age 13 for social media, because prior to age 13, social media, when the, the advertisers follow your child and they're under age 13, technically that is stalking and they can be sued because you're under age 13. That end-user license agreement, E-U-L-A, that everybody says click here if you agree that nobody reads, mm-hmm. that's in there. So at age 13 is when the country, the government, everybody says it's okay if your kids have social media. That is a loose guideline. Just because you're 13 doesn't mean you need a cell phone. Uh, Just because you're 13 doesn't mean that you can do things that everybody else does. Same way about dating. Just because you turn 16 means that you can go dating. It's a maturity thing. So I I get back to the social media thing. There's got to be certain standards. And you can't say negative things. You You can't go to sites that you couldn't show your grandmother type Mm -hmm. thing. You've got to have some of those standards. And if they break those standards, then we have conversations, not necessarily taking it away, but tell me why, what's going on. There are a lot of filters and stuff out there that would keep you away from certain websites. Well, why were you looking at that website? That's a conversation. It's an education thing. But here's what I think happens is too many parents take social media, take cell phones. It's an easy babysitter and they're lazy when it comes to parenting. 
Uh, don't hate me. That's just my opinion. I've been working with teenagers a long time and I've watched a lot of parents and I've just watched them babies, watch them babysit by giving them a cell phone and letting them go. That's dangerous. And, and that's, that's, you, you could call us old fashioned if you like. Um, I'm okay with that because there are aspects of that time, a pre, uh, uh, smartphone time that are actually better. Um, yeah, we call it the social media, we're far less social than we were because now it's a manipulative tool. Now it's a way in which we can escape. Now it's not a way to engage. We're now so oversaturated and over-informed that we can't even, like we've talked about before, we can't make decisions because we've got too much information. And um, the thing about technology and the thing about cell phones is you as a parent have the absolute right to look at that phone at any time. You have the absolute right to search that phone or their room or their whatever. Well, that's just a violation of privacy. You live in my home. You are my child. That that, that you are not an adult with the 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 rights and and, and purposes of of the uh, uh, of a, an adult and a member of society. You are still my ward and my charge to train you how to be. A member of this society. Yeah, and and it still goes back to the loving relationship too. So don't think that we're just saying, okay, we run this um, this no. <laughs> this prison and we're going to search anytime we want to. It is one of those things where that you have respect, you have you care about each other, and you love each other. But you got to have some boundaries, and I think that parenting, we got to do more of that. Exactly right. So we'll talk more about this and talk about you know privacy and and respecting because as a parent. I also have to respect my child. So it's easy for us to just look at this and say, oh, well, you know, the parent is, um, you know, I, I demand respect as a parent and, and the child doesn't get any. No, that's not the case. So we'll talk about that as well, about mutual respect and how to, uh, to, to work together to that end result because you need to share that result, that end result with your kid so that you have a goal that you're reaching together. So that's our time today. Thank you so much for listening to us as we talked about, hey, as a parent, stop being your child's friend. Thanks for listening. Check out wewerethinking.org for more episodes or drop us a note to info at wewerethinking.org. 